Hey, New Life family, welcome to the weekly podcast. We want to take a moment to say thank you so much for listening. We hope this message encourages you and helps you in some way today move forward in your relationship with Christ and others. We pray God blesses you wherever you are today. Now enjoy the message. I want to flip, if, if you have a Bible app, your actual Bible, flip open to the book of Hebrews. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to give you as much as I can give you in the amount of time we have. I, I, I told Saprina, because she's the one that always helps me with the graphics, that I wanted to carry on from Easter when, when I said, you know, I was trying to come up with just this cutesy little hashtag or whatever, and the Holy Spirit would just spoke to me and said, well, isn't Jesus enough? And so I was like, okay, we're just going to call it Jesus because he's enough. And then carried on through that. And we're going to just take this several weeks, however long. And, and the backdrop is all going to be from the backdrop of the book of Hebrews. So if you want to begin to read the book of Hebrews in different translations, that, that would be very uh, helpful probably just to your spirit and your mind to, to just have that construct in, in your thinking. And I want to begin to unfold and develop from the book of Hebrews. We don't know who the author is. Most speculate that it came from Paul just because there's similarities to his other writings. But the, the writer of Hebrews tells us that we can be anchored. And the theme scripture that I want to pull from the book of Hebrews is found in, in the sixth chapter. And this is going to be like the foundational thing um, through the next several weeks when we're going to be talking on uh, different, uh, I don't want to say topics, but just different veins, if you will, of the thought of being anchored, and we'll be talking about being anchored in the deity of Christ, being anchored in the humanity of Christ, being anchored uh, uh, in the healing or in the heavenly calling, and how how to even uh, be serious and take Jesus serious. And today, I want to just kind of stay on the topic of of the thought of drifting, that if we're not careful, we will begin to drift. And in the drifting, you'll wake up one day, if you've ever been on a boat and you want to stay in a certain vicinity, you have to lay down an anchor. If you don't, then when you're not paying attention, whether you're relaxing, whether you're fishing, whether you're napping, whatever it is, when you are not being fully aware and you don't anchor the boat, the boat will just begin to drift with every wave that comes. It could do two things. It could cause you to crash into the bank, crash into something else, bringing damage to the boat and you drowning. Or it would cause you to be drifted so far out that you are in uncharted territories and you don't know where you're going and the same thing would be true. So both scenarios in the natural of boating, those are the two scenarios that you would have when you don't place down an anchor. And this is, this is kind of the principle 
at least in part, in the book of Hebrews, and the writer of Hebrews is, is giving us this thought that if we don't anchor our spirituality into something, that our spirituality will begin to be tossed about and, and we will be carried about and only two scenarios will happen without an anchor. We will, we will go in one direction and, and it won't be long that we will crash into something and our vessel will be destroyed. You see that in people's lives, that, they, that there is a, a certain exuberance for a certain amount of time, but because they don't allow themselves to come under authority of of what the Bible calls pastors, evangelists, teachers, prophets, those things, and, and leaders, and be discipled, there becomes this uh, liquidity about them. And they, they won't be discipled. And, and you see it, so you often see it, uh, a move of God will happen, whether, whether in a church or in a collective uh, churches. We, our church was a part of a 17-week of a revival along with several other churches, and we've seen some incredible, incredible things happen. But what you also seen in that time is there was this exuberance and there was this passion and there was this zeal for the Lord. But there was some, there was some that grew from that, from that level, from that stage. They grew from that place. But there were some that did not anchor themselves. And so they're what and I'm loosely using this word, their spirituality began to wane and it began to be tossed about and different voices began to speak and, and they got confused and they got, or, or they just crashed and burned. I'm talking about in their spirit, they crashed and burned and, and every part of their vessel broke or, or, or they drifted far out to sea. And the, the author of the book of Hebrews is telling us, if you are going to have faith, if you are going to uh, have a spirituality. It has to be anchored because if it's not anchored, uh, doom in the spirit, in your faith, it, it will, it will somehow hit rock bottom. And so he, he collectively writes this, this, these themes of who Jesus is deity, his humanity, his majesty, uh, just everything. When, if you want to know who Christ is, read and study the book of Hebrews. And so the author of Hebrews is telling us and suggesting to us that if we don't anchor our spirit in who Christ is, you're going to burn out. You're going to the vessel is going to be broken. It's going to be shattered. Or you're going to end up so far out this way that you're, you're not going to have any bearings about what spirituality is anymore. And in, in essence, everything will be okay. And so the author of Hebrews says this, and it's a familiar scripture. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9, and this is going to be the foundation, and we'll pull from other verses and we'll go in other places, but this kind of sets the tone. And this is what it says in this, in this set of scriptures. This hope, 
we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Everybody say sure and steadfast. That's what you want your spirit to be. You want your spirit to be sure and you want it to be steadfast. If it's sure, then it's found in the gospel of the truth of the word. That's being sure about something. I can be confident, not in my own being, but I'm confident because I'm sure that the truth is the truth. It's not your truth. It's not my truth. It's not subjective truth. There is the truth. And the truth is then I can be sure in that. But I'm not, I don't just rely on being sure, but now I can be steadfast. Another version will use it this way. Uh, another author uses it this way, that I can be steadfast, unmovable, unshakable. So being sure, hold on, being sure gives my mind peace of mind. Being steadfast gives my spirit the ability that it doesn't matter if I'm going through hell and high water, I will not be shaken. That's part of the good news of the gospel because the gospel, the good news of the gospel is he's going to bring rest and peace to your mind all the while when you're going through hell and high water, you can be unmovable, unshakable, and steadfast. Because if we are walking through this life, and most of us are, hopefully, you are going to face things. You're going to face things that come against your body, come against your spirit. You're going to face things that come against your family. You're going to face things that come against your kids. You're going to face things that come against your faith. You're going to face things that come against your sanity. You're going to face things. All of us are going to face things. But part of the good news of the gospel of having your spirit anchored in Christ is he brings a sureness and a steadfastness. How many has noticed an uptick in the last several years and I'm getting just a bit ahead of myself, but how many has noticed an uptick in the last two, maybe three years or so of this word that's being floated around called deconstruction. It's all over every kind of social media platform. You put up a scripture about being steadfast in Christ, you're going to get five likes. <laughs> you make a selfie video about I am done with the gospel. I am going to deconstruct from religious tentacles of faith, and I am going to have this enlightenment. You'll get a gazillion likes. Because being having the principles of traditional Christian principles is not popular. Y'all are quiet in here today. But the same person can begin to use these worms, words and these formats about deconstructing, and that is popular. And it'll hit like wildfire. You'll get videos gone viral. I could leave this podium today, close my Bible, go home, put my, put my iPhone 
on a stand and all the people that follow on the different platforms and begin to say, I'm leaving what is the traditional Christianity of faith and here's the reason why I'm going to deconstruct and, and I don't think it has to be all this and all of this and just go through all this mess. And I'm telling you, People would be thriving over videos like that, over posts like that, over comments like that, because Christianity is not popular. It has never been popular. The fact that when you say the word being a Christian, you're automatically bringing some kind of an offense. Because by nature, the name Christianity or the title of Christianity is being Christ-like. And anytime you invoke the nature of Christ into carnality, it will rub people raw. Anytime you invoke the nature of the deity of Christ into a situation, people start fuming and you ain't even said nothing yet. You ain't even told him your political views yet. You ain't even told him your stance on certain subjects. All you do is you just like, no, I'm a Christian. It was like you just ripped the rug out from under them. Why? Because there is automatically an offense of wickedness coming against the light of the world. Darkness is always going to try to drown out the light of who Jesus is. But they can't completely drown it out. That's why the author of Hebrews says, everything that comes against you, you're going to feel it. You'll experience it. You'll probably have to do some practical things. But one thing's for sure. When you are anchored and your soul has been anchored in Jesus Christ, you have a sureness in your mind, that means a rest in your mind, and you have a steadfastness in your spirit that it doesn't matter, unbreakable, unmovable, unshakable. And the good news is in the rest of that, that no matter what is going on, the part of having my soul anchored in Christ is now I can enter into the presence behind the veil. You don't have to earn your way there. You don't have to work your way there. You just have to confess your way there. And by confession, I mean, Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, you are the Lamb of God. Jesus, you are everything that I need in my life. Every answer that I need to my mind, my spirit, my soul, my body, my relationships is found in the Spirit of Christ. And when I start confessing that, I enter into his presence behind the veil. A place where everybody is called to be. But that, the, here's where people get this scripture wrong. It says many are called, but few are chosen. It means this. Everybody has the opportunity to be there, but not everybody will choose to go there. And so the hope that we're going to talk about, the anchor of our soul being sure and steadfast for the purpose of entering into the presence behind the veil. And that's the place where we desire to be. And I'm going to go out on a limb and tell you, you don't only have to experience that in a church service. You can experience that in your home. You say, Pastor Mickey, you don't know my home. I know my home. And listen, your home ain't no worse than my home. 
My home has just maybe matured a little bit and walked it out a little bit further. But at some point in time, my home was like your home. Are y'all following me? And sometimes you have to get the old vegetable oil out. I'm going to go old school today. Sometimes you just have to get the old Crisco oil out. And you just have to start anointing things. And I'm not trying to get flaky because I'm really not a flake. I'm, I'm a pretty, you know, low-key kind of person. But sometimes you have to start anointing some things. And sometimes you just have to get sick of the enemy running rampant in your home. And you say, I can be sure and steadfast and have peace in my home for the purpose of being in your presence behind the veil. The church service is not the veil. I am now the temple of the Holy Ghost. So where I go, I bring the presence of God with me. So that means when I'm in my kitchen, that's the kingdom of God. And when I'm in my front room, that is the kingdom of God. And when I'm in my marital bedroom, that is the kingdom of God. And when I walk into Walmart, that's the kingdom of God. I think it's time we start seeing deliverances at Quick Trip. Not because we're trying to promote a name, not because we're trying to promote a revival, not because we're trying to promote uh, any other thing. We just now have learned that we are sure and we are steadfast. We can be unmovable, unshakable, not in who we are, because the one thing that I know, I cannot do anything unless Jesus Christ gives me the grace and the strength to do it. It's time we quit trying to be professional Christians. And say, you know, I might recognize that God has extended to me a certain gift. But we have relied on our gift way too long. And I'm about to give you a statistic that shows that our gift can't do anything. I told you, I'm just going to give you what I can give you. And we're just going to play it by ear how far we go. I believe we have to have a spiritual diet. I told you this last week. There is a place for preaching, teaching on topical things. There's a place for that. But I fear that in the American church, that is what we have whittled everything down to. And so we use the Bible almost like a topical dictionary Google just flipping through. I just need something today. And we just do that. And there, again, there's a place for that. When you're going through something, the Bible is the answer. And you can find everything that you go through, you can find in the Bible, at least in principle. At least in principle, you can find it. You may not find your exact situation, but the principle will be in there. The decision-making opportunity will be in there. We can talk about current events and such, and certainly there's a place for that. But I also believe in the American church, we have got to get back to doctrinal statements because that's where the sure foundation comes in. Paul instructed us in the book of Ephesians. I don't know if I give you this scripture or not back there. Uh, In the book of Ephesians, Paul instructed us and when he was writing to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4, I'll I'll just give it to you in case I didn't give it to them. 
Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, it says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men. Meaning sometimes people are not even trying to do it intentionally, but they'll say things. And if you are not doctrinally sound and your, your soul is not anchored in the word, which is Christ all of a sudden you will begin to be tossed about. Paul talks about this tossing about right here because because the enemy will use the trickery of words. And if you don't know your Bible, you'll swallow it. You'll believe it. And the purpose is to sink your vessel. We live in a world where there is a lot of apostasy And that word apostasy is just a big name, a big uh, word, an $8 word for this right here. It simply means falling away from the faith. We live in a world where you can see it, where where just people are falling away from the faith, from the true biblical tentacles of Christianity. We're going through this whole movement of deconstruction where they're trying to untangle the biblical constructs of the principles of being a Christian. I'm not talking about learning and growing. There is times that you can look back in past generations and you can say, oh, they kind of missed it right there. But they had holiness right. Oh, they, they kind of missed this part right here. That they, they didn't have a full revelation. Because when you, when you start to learn, God reveals things and he reveals things in parts. And he reveals things kind of like in pieces of the puzzle. So you can't blame past generations if they didn't have the full gamut of the revelation. Just as like if the Lord tarries, people are going to look back on our generation and be like, oh, they got some things right. They learned how to reach out past the church. They learned how to make connection with people. They got some things right, but there were some things. Woo, what was they thinking? There's going to be generations that look past all, back on us and say those same things. But the way God reveals, he reveals in parts, and he reveals kind of like the way uh, pieces of the puzzle come together. And so there's this apostasy that's happening all over the world a falling away from the faith, an abandonment or a renunciation, if you will, of religious beliefs. And I'm using the word religious in a good way. I'm not using it in a religious spirit kind of way, but just good biblical religious beliefs. And it's popular now for people to walk away from Christian-held values. And if we're not careful... We, we see the world already automatically has this skepticism about them in their thinking when it comes to church, when it comes to Christ, when it comes to just Christian values. There's the, a sense of skeptic, skepticism. And if we're not careful, we as Christians, we as churchgoers, we will fall into that same cynical uh, disposition that the world holds or that people hold. And 
and we'll, we'll aim it towards the church. And I don't understand it because uh, people of the church, we should be in love with the church. And when I say the church, I'm not talking about the building and I'm not talking about the singular uh, identity of the church. I'm talking about the global church. We should be passionately in love with the church and want to serve the church because that's what Christ did. When Christ came, he gave his life for the church. The church was birthed out of him. So I don't understand this whole theory of of Christians being so critical about the church. And again, I'm talking about the whole church. Because you could say it this way, critical about the body of Christ. Not talking about maturing. I'm not talking about where where things are being corrected. But I'm talking about just always critical about the church. Are y'all following me? And if we're not careful, we will take on the words and the attitudes of the criticism and the cynicism of the world and we'll adapt it and we'll bring it right into the church and the church will start imploding from the inside because we quit understanding that our soul is anchored and it's sure and it's steadfast, unmovable, unshakable. There is that hope. So... We, as Christians, are supposed to be representatives of our great God. They are to look at us and not see perfection because we still are human and we're going to make mistakes. We're going to fall. We're going to stumble. We're going to say the wrong things. We're going to do the wrong things. Some will, will be tempted to sin and they will fall into it. But the thing about Christ is there's always hope. There's always part of his DNA is restorative in nature. Y'all are kind of quiet today. Are you just listening? And so we are to be representatives of God, representatives of this great kingdom that we call the kingdom of God. We are to be representatives of the great community of the body of Christ not just be the same skeptical cynicism of the world. What I'm talking about is I'm talking about getting back to being cross carriers instead of influencers. I've studied this Bible for a long years, and I have yet to find the verse where I was to be an influencer. But I can find a whole lot of verses where I'm to be a cross carrier. Being a cross carrier, though, attracts criticism because it's the light, and you're taking the light into darkness. Being a cross carrier can be heavy at times. Being an influencer by definition, is popular. Being an influencer, you are gathering people to yourself. Being a cross carrier, you are, to your best ability, gathering people to him. And we live in a church culture where we've 
transitioned words and replaced words and replaced definitions, not understanding that it's been detrimental to the body of Christ. Because now we've just put the name Christian in front of it. We're just a Christian influencer, and God called us to be cross carriers. I'm talking about what the old school church, I remember my parents saying things like this. I'm talking about the old school church would say stuff like, dying to flesh. Dying to carnality. Dying to your own subjective way of thinking. Laying that at the altar. Literally praying the prayer of Jesus Christ. Not my will, but thy be done. Those are good words until it starts being pinpointed at your life. And you're saying, but God, this is what I want to do. And what you want to do is not wrong. And what you want to do is not sin. And what you want to do, but it's just not what God is asking us to do. I've prayed this prayer more in the last three months than I have ever prayed in my entire life. God, this is what I want to do. But then I had to humble myself and say, but God, your will be done. But if all I am is a Christian influencer, I don't dice to self. And I don't die to feelings and I don't die to my own opinion. Because after all, I'm just going to be a Christian influencer. But if I'm going to be a cross carrier, like my Savior was, I have to pray the prayers my Savior prayed. And that is not popular. And it doesn't get you likes. And it doesn't make things go viral. In fact, it gets you criticism. And it will even bring isolation sometimes. Because now you're the oddball out. Ooh, y'all are quiet here today. Being a cross carrier means putting idols on the altar. And I struggled talking about this today. Because I was like, God, we just celebrated Easter. Can't we just have a happy service? Being a cross carrier means you have to put idols on the altar. Here's this, because anything you cannot sacrifice is an idol. You say, Pastor Mika, but it's not a big deal. If it's not a big deal, then lay it on the altar. Oh, but I, you know, I, I'm really not addicted to it. If you're not addicted to it, then lay it on the altar. And if it's okay, God will raise it back up and put it back in your hand. Oh, but Pastor Amika, you just, you're not of this generation. You were raised by a different, you don't know. If it's not a big deal, then just put it on the altar. Anything you can't put on the altar is an idol. And some of the things are not technically wrong. They're not technically sinful, but they just monopolize your time. And they monopolize your energy. And they suck the very joy of the Lord right out of you. And if you can't lay it on the altar, and if you're always making excuses for why you need it, then it has become an idol. 
in your heart. And when something becomes an idol in your heart, your soul starts to be unwound from the anchor of being sure and steadfast. And the purpose of getting you unanchored from that is so that when the next wind hits you, when the next wave hits you, it takes you out. Are y'all with me today? When you begin to read the book of Hebrews, you will find out that the Hebrew Christians experienced many things. And we are not the first Christians to have been in this situation where, where Christianity is coming under attack. We live in a world that might be more technologically advanced, and that certainly is the case. But as far as the issues are concerned, there is nothing new under the sun. What we are facing today in America and in other countries, probably much more so, uh, the first century Christians faced exactly all of those things. And when it comes to struggling, what you'll you'll lose when representing Christ correctly. And what I mean by that is sometimes there, sometimes wisdom comes in when you have to learn what to say and when to say it, and then one learn to just be like, okay, I'm just, I'm just not going to say nothing right at this moment. Especially if you work in the secular world, if you work in secular jobs, it is wisdom sometimes just to keep your mouth quiet. Because whether, listen, we can live on faith and we can believe on God, but we need a job to pay the bills too. And part of that wisdom is just learning how to, okay, I'm not stepping in that right there. I'm going to let my light shine. And if, if they come at me, I'm not going to deny Christ. But it, I, I, I sense wisdom just to just, I'm just going to let that one go. I'm just going to let that one slide. You see what I'm saying? We don't have to be crazy and not be able to hold down a job because we, we are just nuts. I'm not talking about going nuts. There is wisdom to know when to speak and when not to speak. There is wisdom of following the unction of the Holy Spirit. So when you follow the unction of the Holy Spirit, then you, when you speak, you are either planting a seed or you are watering a seed that's already been planted. And so God is going to use it for his glory and his benefit. But if the Spirit of God is not unctioning you, take that as a sign. I'm just going to be quiet. And I'm just going to speak when the unction of the Spirit begins to lead me. Because even if it brings me persecution, if God gets the glory for it and a soul gets saved or somebody gets delivered, that's what matters. But until the unction of the Spirit, I'm just going to use wisdom. I'm just going to just let everything kind of play out. You see, the Christians, the Hebrew Christians in the first century, they experienced that. They had to use that wisdom. They were dealing with a lot of the exact same things. Should I be bold about my witness towards Christ or should I tuck my Christianity in and just just allow the Holy Ghost to lead me and guide me? Should I coddle under the pressure or should I communicate about his excellencies? There's a time and a place. But we are living in a day and an age where we are are coming under this place where we can no longer negotiate who we are. And the reason why I prefaced 
This statement is because I want you to understand I'm not talking about not using wisdom and I'm not talking about going out and getting yourself kicked out of college or fired from the job. There's a place for using wisdom. But we are stepping into an age where there is no longer negotiables. We are stepping in an age where the church must be sure and steadfast about who Jesus Christ is. There's non-negotiables. And we are in that age. Scripture calls it being wise as a serpent, but being innocent as a dove. So there's a balance in that. It's not about retracting back. Put this up. There's three if you if you kind of looked at in an umbrella kind of timeline through the book of Hebrews, you will find that there's three main things about the book of Hebrews. Number one is just the idea that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than your life. Jesus is better than your previous life without Jesus. I don't care how good your life is, Jesus is better. And we have to start, and and I'm going to use a secular term uh, because I, I believe it'll get my point across. Part of the criticism of the church or Christianity, not the church, but part of the criticism of Christianity is one, what I said earlier, that just the fact when you say Christian, it means the light of Jesus Christ. And so darkness is always going to come against that. But the second part of that is we, at least in our culture, have not done a very good job of branding what true Christianity really is. And so there's this false ideology about it. But part of the true branding of what Christianity is, is the fact that Jesus is better. Your life is good. Jesus will make it better. And I'm not talking about rosy and sunshine and never going through problems, but I'm talking about Jesus in your life makes it better so that when you go through anxiety problems, Jesus is right there in your boat. When you face depression, Jesus is right there in your boat. When your, when your house starts shaking, Jesus is right there in your boat. When things start dying around you, Jesus is right there in your boat. Jesus makes it better. You find that you find that theme throughout the book of Hebrews. Number two, you'll find that Jesus brings better things with him. He never shows up alone. He shows up with gifts. Jesus brings better things with him. Why does the enemy want to untangle the tentacles of your faith from who Jesus Christ is? Why is, why is the culture of the world so animate? about making everything equal to Jesus Christ? Because when Jesus shows up, he don't just show up alone. He shows up with the Father and the Spirit, and they don't show up alone. They show up with every character of their DNA. Scripture says he always shows up with good gifts. So when Jesus shows up, He not only makes things better, but he brings better things with him. And then the third thing is that there is an encouragement for believers not to drift. People who are already born again believers, part of the theme or principle of the book of Hebrews is an encouragement to be anchored in Christ so that you don't drift. Because if you're not careful, 
people will be saying things, and this sounds so good, until you end up way over here, and you're just like, how did I get here? How did I swallow that pill? I meant to take the red pill, and I swallowed the blue pill. Vice versa, I don't know what pill goes to what. But it's an encouragement for believers not to drift. You say, Pastor Mika, what does drifting have to do with Jesus being better? It has everything to do with it. It actually is the focal point of not drifting. You don't drift when you understand that you're anchored in Jesus. You are already secure in what Jesus has done because of what you're secure in Jesus because of what he did. That if Jesus is Lord of your life, if, if you have submitted to his authority and he is your savior, then you are secure in what he already did. That, that's a settled issue. My, my question to you or my acknowledgement to you is this. Are you, do you have security in the security of Jesus? What Jesus did brought a security to every person who believes in what Jesus did. The event I'm talking about is his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. There is security in that. My question to you is, do you have security in the security People cannot deconstruct that security. They can say what they want to say, but if as a believer in who Jesus did, is and what he did on the cross, there is a steadfastness and a sureness, and there is a security in that. But my question is, is do you have security in your security? In other words, you can say it like this. Is your faith in the fact that you simply merely believe Or is your faith in the fact that of who you believe in? It's like this. And and I I realize I'm getting a little bit deep here. But sometimes, sometimes, y'all, we got to push away the fluff and we just got to dive in. We got to, scripture says that our, so that our roots would grow down deeply. That at the very scent of water. That when drought comes in the natural, what will happen in the plants and in the trees is their roots will begin to press through all the dirt and all the grub and all the trash and begin to press down until they draw water. And they draw water from the ground up. It doesn't matter how much drought is in the sky. And I'm telling you, we are living in an age where us as Christians and believers, there's going to start becoming some spiritual droughts. And you better have some roots that grow down deep that press through all of this other trash and just grab a hold of something and bring that water up from the roots and everybody else and everything else is dying around you and you are flourishing and you are still producing fruit. Why? Because you're not letting the clouds bring rain on top of you. You are drawing your sustenance because your roots went deeper. So we can believe in things just because we were merely taught that and we frame this belief system and we just believe it because we believe it. Have you ever talked to somebody and you try, and I'm not necessarily talking about scripture right now, but have you ever talked to somebody and, and their logic didn't make sense? Don't look at them. Don't look at them right now. Don't look at them. Keep your eyes forward. <laughs> 
just their logic did not make sense. And you couldn't change their mind for nothing. Why couldn't you change your mind? Because they just believed what they believed. Their belief wasn't in the proper thing. It was just a belief. The same can be true about the Bible. You can believe the Bible, but your faith is not really in the person of the Bible. Your faith is in the fact that you have a belief system. So that when the word of God is rightly divided, it still doesn't penetrate our heart. Because now we're just believing in our believing system instead of the word of God. And I think the sword of the spirit needs to become sharp again. Not that it ever lost its sharpness, not that its edge ever went dull, but we have allowed the sharpness of the Word of God to become dull, and the Word of God is to be sharp so it can begin to divide and say, this is trash and this is holy. This, is, this you can live without, this you cannot live without. That's what the Word of God does. Is this too deep for y'all? The writer of Hebrews is trying to frame for us the assurance of what Jesus is and who he is and what he's come to accomplish and what he's done in our life, then you can ask yourself, well, why in the Hebrew context, why did these Christians fall away from faith? And many, many would be from the fact of persecution. And we in the West, Western culture, we are not necessarily persecuted in the physical yet, but certainly there is verbal persecution, and certainly there is an uprise for unnecessarily proportions of ideological persecutions. And the whole purpose, keep this in mind, the whole purpose of that agenda to bombard the tentacles of Christianity is this. That agenda is to keep your witness quiet. It's all about quieting the witness. Put this up. Here's the stat I told you I wanted to share with you. According to a research done by Barna Study Group, less than 1% of young adults in the U.S. today have a biblical worldview. Less than 1% of the young adults who currently live in the United States of America, have a biblical world view. Why are moms and dads being bombarded? Because they want to get that to zero. Why, why is, is this upswing of deconstruction? And if you look at it, a lot of them are in their 30s. Why, why is it such a movement? Because they're trying to get that to zero. I hope this is hitting your spirit like it's hitting in mine. Why, why is the enemy lamb blasting churches? Why is the enemy lamb blasting families? Why is the enemy lamb blasting? Because he's trying to get that to zero. Because if he can get that to zero, then when a certain generation gets old enough where they don't have the energy to fight, or carry the load of Christianity anymore, if that is one or below, then he knows that he can just begin to sweep in and move. 
And their anchor is not, and their soul is not in the anchor of who Jesus Christ is. It's in a belief system. And that belief system will fail. It will fail. Why is the enemy going after youth pastors, youth leaders, young adult leaders, people in their 30s and 40s? Why is he going after that? He has an agenda. And we have to start recognizing the agenda and say, but I'm going to be a cross carrier. Because the good news about being a cross carrier is you don't have to always have a big crowd. One of the greatest people that I know happens to be one, one of two of my favorite people outside my family. She's a mentor of mine. She is so incredibly smart. She is so incredibly anointed. She is so incredibly gifted. I don't know how God uses her the way God uses her. She is at a level, y'all, that it impresses me when people can hear the voice of God. Like, I still get impressed by that. When they don't know nothing about nothing, and yet the Holy Spirit inside of them starts running his mouth. (laughs) You're like, Holy Ghost, just shut up. Why you got to tell everything you know? And nobody knows nothing about nothing. But all of a sudden, somebody who's had their ear to heaven and now they're starting to hear some of the conversations, and they speak, that still impresses me, y'all. I'm like, whoo, I start getting goosebumps. I start, I'm like, whoo, God's here, because she knew that, and I didn't tell nobody. But a whole nother level beyond that is when you can so hear God that now you're not the one that's going to deliver the message, but you know that there is a message coming down. And you can start pinpointing who God is about to use in the message. I was sitting around a table of 10 women about six, eight months ago, sitting at her table. We was just discussing some things. We were just having a good time. We was having good food because you can't have a good discussion without good food. So we was having some good food, and we was having great discussion. And I felt the prompting of the Spirit. But... If you know me outside of preaching, I just I, I usually stay pretty quiet. And so I was sitting there, and man, I felt the Spirit of God bubbling up. And I knew he was downloading something into my spirit. And I, I must have been getting a little antsy. I don't know. Well, there was a tail. There was some kind of tail on me. And I was just feeling, and my mentor looked across, and she said, Amika, how long are you going to sit there? Can you just tell her what the Holy Ghost is telling you? Like, that's literally what she told me. She said, Amika, how long are you going to sit there? Just tell her what the Holy Ghost is telling you. I took my napkin and I threw it. I said, that's crazy. You're crazy, lady. But I was meaning it in a good way. I was like, that's a whole nother level. When you're not even the vessel, but your ear is so close to heaven that you know that the message is coming down and you're hearing the message, but you're not the deliverer of the message and you got to correct the messenger to go... That's a whole nother level, y'all. That's being secure and steadfast in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's why the enemy is coming at. Because listen, if the Lord tarries, 
It is only natural things will happen where people begin to become frail. People will begin to die off. Natural things will happen as just as it has happened all of our Christian history years. But if the enemy could ever get the church to not have a true biblical view, then he can weasel his agenda in there. And we have to start seeing things for what they are, family. We have to start seeing things for what they are. Be sure and steadfast, not in our belief system, but in who Jesus Christ is. Not in the fact that I have faith. You understand that I can have faith in faith? I can have faith in the fact that there's faith there. But that doesn't move anything. It only moves when I have faith in him. That's why a lot of people walk around and go around and they're claiming a lot of things and they're saying a lot of words and they're, they're saying, oh, this is a, the Lord's going to bless me, the Lord's going to bless me, the Lord's gonna, and just all hell is breaking loose in their life because their faith is just in faith. It's similar to people. Have you ever known somebody who people are in love with love, but they don't love the person that they're with, but they're in love with the idea of love? And yet they treat the person they're with like, you know what? Because they don't love the person, they are in love with the idea of love. Faith can work that same way. You can have faith in faith, but your faith has to be in the person of who Jesus Christ is. Because he is the one that carries the anointing. He is the one that destroys the yokes. And you can have faith in a belief system all you want. But if your belief system isn't rooted and grounded in who Jesus Christ is, you're going to still deal with all hell. Are you, is this okay with y'all? Let me give you a few more things. Why is this statistic of 1% so important? Put this up. A Christian worldview is this. Why is it so important that we know this stat of less than 1% of young adults in America have a Christian worldview? Because here is what a worldview is. It's, it's a grid, if you will. That people who know Jesus Christ are to develop from the Bible, from the, everybody say from the Bible, from the Bible on how they look at, interact with, and understand God, people, life, and decision making. Because if it's not grounded in the Bible, you'll come up with your own God. And you'll come up with this grand idea of deconstructing. And people will start falling for it. All of that is not grounded in the Bible. That's having a worldview through the lens of the Bible. Interacting with God, understanding God. And when I say understanding God, I'm not talking about having God all wrapped up in your mind. But I'm talking about having a correct view of God. People, life, and even decision making. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I don't even think I give it to them. Let me flip over to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is Paul again. Chapter 2, verse 14. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness. To him, nor can he know them 
because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. In other words, your anchor has to be in Christ. Because if your anchor is not in Christ, then your mind is going to try to reason out Your mind is going to try to reason out and dictate to you what is going on when really we should be saying, Holy Spirit, what is going on? And the Holy Spirit will begin to bring revelation about this. The Barna group describes worldview as this, absolute truth exists. Have you all noticed that the absolute truth is being attacked? Having a worldview is that absolute truth exists. Absolute moral truth exists. The Bible is completely inerrant. That Satan is real. That he's not just a figment of people's imagination. Nor is he just a metaphorical uh, character in somebody's mind. He is a real person. That a person cannot earn their way into the kingdom through good, good works. That Jesus lived a sinless life on earth. And that God is the supreme creator of heaven and earth. That's what it means to have a biblical worldview. And everything is filtered into that grid or into that filter. And if you'll just listen to people, you don't even need discernment. If you'll just listen to people, they will often try to manipulate your thinking by saying, the reason why I don't do this, that, or the other about Christian. They try to make it intellectualism. They try to make you think that they have somehow received some kind of intellectual epiphany. And you're like, friend, you can't even pronounce the word good. You you see what I'm saying? Just listen to them. They'll try to make it sound like they've had this big intellect. It's not intellectualism. It's moralism. Because I have yet to see. I've been a pastor almost 21 years. I was a youth pastor for eight years prior to that. And I've grown up in a pastor apostle's home. I only use that as reference to tell you I've been around a lot of church folk. And I have yet to see somebody who, what we're calling deconstructing their faith, I have yet to ever see them get morally better. When they start unwrapping themselves through Jesus and who Jesus is, they are no longer sure and they are no longer steadfast. It's never an intellectualism. It's always about moral and morality. They are just tired of the boundaries of the Bible. They are just tired of Jesus being Lord of their life and not merely Savior of their life. They're tired of putting idols on the altar. They're tired of sacrificing what their flesh enjoys. They're t- I've never seen anybody get morally better when they walked away from God or even distanced themselves from the person of who Jesus is. What I have seen is a bunch of open doors to a bunch of perversion and a bunch of chaosness and a bunch of hell going rampant in their life. Why? Because they untentacled themselves from the fruits, from the sure and the steadfast person of who Jesus is. 
Family, I'm telling you, this is the doctrinal statement that's going to get us through everything in that our life has to hold. No matter where you are, what you're doing, this is what's going to stabilize you through it all. It's about Jesus. It's about who Jesus is. Trying to just find a good place to land this plane. So we need to look at the book of Hebrews and see what they went through. See what the author is saying about who Jesus is. I feel like we here are really good about listening to the word of God accepting the preaching and teaching word of God, I feel like we are really good about that. But even as good as we may be about that, there is stuff about Jesus, y'all, that we haven't even scratched the surface to. There is stuff that Paul and the other apostles that were trying to communicate through writing of the unction of the Holy Ghost through the inerrant scriptures that they experienced of who Jesus was that we haven't even scratched the surface yet of his deity and his majesty and his holiness and who he is and how he is. The fact that I don't get it, I don't understand it, how Jesus can be fully God, the DNA of who God is, everything about who God is was constructed in who Jesus was, and he had this fullness of deity, yet he had this fullness of humanity, and they did not mix. Because if, if his deity mixed with his humanity, then he would have been a demigod. But if his humanity would have mixed with his deity, then it would have got polluted. But he had the Godhead in his human form, and he had humanness in his human form, and yet it didn't mix. My mind can't comprehend that. And he walked on this earth to the place that when he walked in a village and nobody had been broadcasting who he was, blind people could tell who he was. I don't get it. My mind cannot understand it. But it's because God showed up in flesh, but there was two natures, but they weren't competing with one another. They were coexisting with one another. And he was fully God and he was fully man for the purpose of taking all of heaven's authority on his shoulders. But he didn't use his authority to condemn men. Get this. He used his authority to restore men. And when I say men, I'm talking about mankind. Y'all, I'm about to blow some of us away. That's what our Jesus did. He had so much, he had all the authority of heaven and earth locked up in his human flesh, in his human suit. And yet it wasn't mixing that when he walked in, nobody was saying nothing, but a blind man was saying, Jesus. You're the Messiah David talked about. How did he know that? Because deity walked in. 
because light walked in and confronted the darkness of blindness. He couldn't physically see with his eye, but there was something about his spirit that said, something's different about this man. Something's different about this parade that's going on. Everybody else is touching Jesus, and they can see him physically, but they're just wanting something. They just want to be a part of it. But all of a sudden, there's a blind man that there was a light that started confronting the blindness of his darkness. And he said, Jesus, you are the son of David we've been looking for. Have mercy on me. And all he had to do is ask him, what is it that you want? I want to receive my sight. Your faith has made you whole. His faith was not in the fact that he had faith. His faith was in the fact of who the person of his faith was. Are you all with me? I don't understand it. But all of that authority that he had to heal blind people, to heal lame people, to cast out demons, where all he had to do was take a foot and put on the land. And the demons were like, Jesus, you've come to kill us all. It's like, can I get my other foot out of the bow, please? Did I scare y'all? Some of y'all a little nappy nap there. (laughs) Like, picture that. Jesus, all he did was get one foot out of the boat. His other toes were in the boat. And hell started running in chaos, looking for pigs to get in. And Jesus standing here saying, can I just at least get both feet on the ground? That's what happens when deity shows up and light begins to confront darkness. I don't understand it. But I want to show you something. Out of all of the authority he had, he did not use his authority to condemn men or humankind. He used it to restore them to their place. Hold on. In another set of scriptures, it says that the husband is the priest of the home. And the husband has been given authority of the home. Are y'all following me? And if we are, I say we, if the husband is the priest of the home and has the authority of the home and he is to emulate Christ, what did Christ do with his authority? Christ always used his authority to restore things. Husbands, your authority is to always restore things. And if things are not being restored, y'all just got, I could hear a pin drop in this house. I know what the self-help books say. And I know what everybody says, that we're just not compatible no more. That's hogwash. God never called you to be compatible. He called you to be in covenant. And covenant says, I'm going to use my part now. Covenant says, I willingly submit to authority because the authority is not pushing me down. The authority is restoring Everything in my life. And our churches would be full 
with healthy family marriages if we would learn what Christ did for the body and what the body willingly because in my carnal nature, I do not want to pray, Lord, your will be done. I don't want to pray that. But when I begin to mull over what he did for me, I can't help but in a humble, submitted state, saying, Jesus, you never used your authority to push me down, to devalue me to make me less than. You always promoted me. You always lifted me up. You always restored me. You always secured me in your love. That's what marriages are supposed to emulate. Y'all can't take no more stand up. Ryan, come. Get me out of this, Ryan. Get me out of this. (laughs) 